Welcome to Hacks and Jacks, a fantasy baseball podcast. I am Joe Galina. And as always, I'm joined by my buddy, Scott Chu. Scott, how's it going, my friend? Going great. Had a had an easy week of my real job and plenty of time to play around with baseball stuff. And there's even been news kind of, mm, you yeah. know, like, mm-hmm. like not, obviously the big news already happened, but there's still like, there's news, there's things to think about. That's all I really want at this right. stage in the off season, right? Just something to happen to make me like, just to be like, Oh, you know what? I'll go look into that. Like, I'll go look into this player who now might be relevant. Like yeah, that's all I need yeah. right now. And that's what we're going to open up with, uh, you know, because it was a, a nice little trade. By the way, we're recording this episode on January 31st, 2023. New Year's Eve. Uh, it's about twelve thirty Eastern Standard Time. What are your plans for uh, New Year's Eve, there, Scott? Uh, for the twelfth year in a row, <laughs> I will be asleep. Uh, <laughs> it's it's me and the the twins and mm-hmm. my my older son. Uh, my wife will be out with friends doing something. Um, cool. Oh, great. Sure, sure, it'll be fun for them. Mm-hmm. I don't care. I don't need it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the The phrase that I always use is uh, New Year's Eve is, is amateur night. Yes. All the people mm-hmm. that have alcohol twice a year, like this is one of the days. Right, right. Right. The wedding they went to in the summer and then New Year's <laughs> Eve. And it can make, you know, hope, by the time you're all listening to this, uh, it'll be over. Hopefully you all were able to drive safely, travel safely. Sure. Uh, the roads are a dangerous place on New Year's Eve, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. on New Year's Eve and New Year's Day early in the morning. So careful. But yeah, it's amateur. I don't need to be around a bunch of people who... Uh, get drunk one time a year right, and right. have no idea how to handle it. Yeah, all right. I, I like that. Uh, we're just having some some friends over, so we're going to be home. It's way I, to go. Yeah, I, I do struggle to stay up to midnight these days. As, as I get older, I just I like my sleep. <laughs> but uh, it'll be fun hanging out with the, some neighbors and having Chinese food. That's our basic tradition uh, over the years. But I agree with you. A good description. Uh, New Year's Eve seems to be amateur night. But, uh, you know, hey. Uh, and as we're recording this, this is uh, Fantasy Football Championship Week. So, you know, for all of us fantasy baseball players who've had the leg up on everyone else, uh, after this week, we're going to see a lot of people diving into fantasy baseball now that fantasy football pretty much is, is going to be done, uh, most likely after this weekend, unless leagues, uh, some uh, some leagues do go on to, to week uh, 18, but not too many. Yeah, I have. I'm. I paid attention to fantasy football for a little bit, but mm-hmm. uh, my my natural talent for the game has me focusing on baseball mm-hmm. uh, well before now. Yeah, yeah. But what <laughs> I'm, I'm just yeah. not exactly in contention. Right, right. But I mean, what I'm trying to say is that you know we're going to have a lot of oh yeah more people <laughs> with their eyes on the prize, and uh, so uh, like I said, it, uh, it we got a big trade that happened. What do you call it? A big trade that happened yesterday, Saturday. Uh, I'd say so. I'd, yeah. I'd call that. Yeah. yeah, I'd call that a. I'd call that a big trade in terms mm-hmm. of. I mean, what else do you want? You've got, you've got, you know, older veteran. You've got younger. I mean, it, it's got all the pieces of a big trade. Yeah, yeah. Well, before we get into that, just real quick, um, I think what what we left off on, we were wondering where Yoshinobu Yamamoto was going to be signing with, and obviously he went to the Dodgers. Uh, you know, the Mets were in on him, the Yankees were in on him, uh, but the Dodgers uh, signed them, and it's really. Just quickly talk about it, Scott, just in general. Not really a surprise, right? I mean, um, you know, playing 
with the Dodger organization that's going to be uh, competitive for years to come, uh, having the opportunity for Yamamoto to play with Otani for many years uh, almost was a no-brainer on his part, right? Yeah, and by now, all of the baseball needs a salary cap stuff is, has died down finally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, just, you know, not to spend too much time on it, but what a massive undertaking that would be. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't just randomly redistribute talent. Like, what would you tell the teams that are now over the cap, right? Like, mm-hmm. that, it'd be it'd be ridiculous. But either way, um, yeah, I, I think it's you know it's a there's no such thing as too much starting pitching depth in Major League Baseball. Sure, right. Uh, Yamamoto instantly jumps in as one of their top pitchers, and you have to remember that you know with Otani not pitching in 2024, uh, this rotation did not have a lot of pieces that you, you could feel super comfortable with, right? Like Bobby Miller would be going into his, you know, his second season, which is cool, but we don't know how much uh, we'd act, you know, you don't know how consistent he can be. Walker Bueller hasn't pitched meaningful innings in a very long time. Right. Tyler Glasnow has had a lot of injuries throughout, you know, his career so far. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. I mean, you got to add more pieces and mm-hmm. yeah, they're all right-handed, but at this point it's, it's more of a who cares thing, right? Cause like what, you know, who knows? You're probably not getting Dustin May back for any meaningful period of time. Uh, or if you do, it's much, it's late in the season. He had surgery it, uh, in the summer last year. Mm-hmm. I mean, just so many, like so many pieces that just aren't there. They're not solid for a team that wants to win a world series, right? Like they need, they probably still need some starting pitching to be honest with you. Right. Right. Especially after what the other team that's a, like a, a world series contender did yesterday saturday and good segue into the chris sale trade chris sale was traded from the red sox to the braves uh he waived his no trade clause basically to go to a a team like the braves that's favored to go deep into the playoffs and kind of world series uh favorites just like the dodgers right so uh red sox sent the braves uh 17 million of sales 27 and a half million dollar salary um, and so, you know, it's a no brainer really for the Braves. Uh, I mean, sale joins a, a deep Braves uh, starting rotation is going to be a free agent at the end of the 2024 season. So from a Braves perspective, if you believe that a, a player in their walk year is going to you know try all that much harder, you know, and, uh, it, it's a good deal and, uh, started the most games, um, sale did since 2019 had 20 starts last year uh, 11 Ks per nine uh, good walk rate two and a half so uh, just looks like a, a good deal overall for the Braves but you could talk a little bit about sale and then there's some other players that are affected uh, like uh, Vaughn Grissom and Jared Kellenick their fantasy value has changed because of this trade but uh, just your quick uh, you know analysis on on what went down Yeah. Again, an interesting move because Atlanta, I think, I don't think they had anything against Vaughn Grissom. They just really didn't have anywhere to put the guy, Mm. right? You know, they've, they've got players that they like uh, at all their positions. I mean, obviously Albies is at second. Uh, I guess they had, you know, they did have an opening at shortstop, but they seem to kind of like Orlando Arcia, who's not even 30 years old. This isn't really like an old guy and and Mm -hmm. he's, you know, he's decent defensively. So they, they sort of had this extra piece and they, they definitely needed another pitcher a lot more than they needed a middle infielder. Right. 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 Uh, So 
that was, I mean, that's a huge move for them. I think, you know, with sale, it's still the same risk as before, right? Like all this really does for him is raise the ceiling because there's a lot more wins in Atlanta than there would be in Boston. But otherwise what you're really seeing is like a higher ceiling, but the floor is the same. The floor is he doesn't play like mm. the floor is that he doesn't pitch because he gets hurt. Right. right. 102 innings is like a huge bump from what we had seen uh, in previous seasons. It's been a while since he's been able to really stay healthy. But, you know, he's he's there. He's another veteran. He's not even the oldest pitcher in this rotation. Mm -hmm. uh, Charlie Morton's still in there right now. Mm -hmm. But it's, you know, it doesn't really, to me, it doesn't necessarily change. It might change, like, his projections and things, but it doesn't really change how you approach drafting a guy like Chris Sale. Mm -hmm. Right. Because you have to have solid pieces in the rotation. My only fear now is that the price is going to become uh, it's going to make this a lot riskier of a pick. The further up the draft board he goes, the riskier he gets mm -hmm. just because like the floor has not changed. Right. Like, a lot of times when players go from team to team, you might see a change in floor. Like if he didn't have health problems, we'd say the floor is higher because there's more wins. Mm -hmm. Right. Raise the ceiling and raise the floor because you have more wins to to bank on. Uh, but that's just not what happens here because his floor is injury related. He can go anywhere he wants. The, the injury is attached to his body, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that's like, that's sort of the interesting thing to think about, especially as we continue, you know, we're going to continue to see trades and moves and things like that. Remember where the, some of these floors come from, especially from like a risk reward perspective, because when it's injury, it's really hard to say going to another team is going to change that. So right. that risk always being there again, someone I'm more interested in now than I was before, because again, the ceiling is now higher, mm -hmm. but always very important to keep in mind. You really have, you, you can't automatically say I'm going to draft Chris sale because it's really going to depend how the draft comes to you. Because if you don't have stability in the rotation, by the time Chris sale is, is ready to be picked, I don't think you can make the move. Right. Yeah, and agree with everything you say. And as for Grissom, you know, I did find it strange. You know, and we've talked about it on this podcast in, in the past. Um, a great bat, right? Batted uh, 320 for his career in the minor leagues, 320, 407, 477, uh, triple slash in four minor league se seasons. Uh, there were whispers that maybe uh, he had like a little bit of an attitude problem, and maybe that's why. I mean, because everyone expected him to open the season last last year as the uh, Braves, uh, you know, everyday shortstop. And then all of a sudden, I actually, I, I, I drafted him in leagues expecting him to play every day. Uh, the great uh, fantasy baseball league that, uh, you know, we both play in. He was my, uh, he was a, a pick of mine and, you know, started the season in the minor leagues. It was kind of shocking. So you wonder if there was, you know, more to it. Um, and you mentioned Orlando Garcia, nice player and, and all. But uh, before the trade, uh, Grissom was supposed to be splitting time in left field with Jared Kellenic. But so now he's looks like he's going to be the uh, Red Sox's everyday second baseman. And uh, I think it's got to really uh, help his fantasy value at this stage. Yeah, because he's going to play. Yeah. Right. Like that's I mean, the biggest thing for him and, and it fits a nice little hole for uh, the Red Sox. I don't, I didn't really like, um, I mean, I like their infield in Devers and Cassis and then story is a big question mark. And he's, you know, he's probably going to continue to be the, the shortstop for them, but it was really interesting. Like I didn't really know what they were going to do uh, at second base. They have some, you know, fairly unproven players on their bench that maybe, you know, or in the minors that maybe could have, maybe could have come in there. Like they had a young guy named Nick York, but I'm not sure right. he's ready yet. 
Uh, Before that, tell- roster resource had a guy, uh, Emmanuel Valdez, penciled in as their starting second baseman. So things have changed. Yeah, <laughs> who you, who we've both definitely heard of, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, right. I definitely know who that is. Know yeah. all, you know, know all about him. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> it, it's it's really nice for Von Grissom because they're going to give him every opportunity and more. Because mm-hmm. that's the thing about playing in front of a guy like Orlando Arcia. He had ups and downs throughout the season offensively. Arcia did, um, but the team. He's a known commodity. The team knew what they were going to get out of Arcia. So whenever Vaughn Grissom wasn't doing exactly what they hoped for, they could mm-hmm. just say, all right, come on in, Orlando. You are a good enough second baseman to just be like, you know, you're probably one of the worst hitters on this team, but that's because we're stacked, mm-hmm. right? Like, <laughs> he was like he's a perfectly he's a perfectly suitable second baseman, which meant Vaughn Grissom had to really force his way into the lineup on a team that's trying to win world championships. So with Boston... Um, this is a team that wants to be competitive. Uh, they're making some interesting moves here and there, right? You know, picking up Giolito and, and right. these other things. But but in reality, what they're trying to, like their window isn't probably 2024. So they get to just let Von Grissom play. Like mm-hmm. let him play second base. Don't worry about moving him around to weird outfield positions. Let the guy play. Let him make contact. See if he can find some power. Uh, see if he can find some of that magic he had when he originally came up back in 2020, uh, towards the end of 2022. That's why we we're so excited about him for 2023. This is still a, you know, Von Grissom, 23 years old, still a player who I think can uh, really do some things. Um, and the fact that he has two options left was a burden in Atlanta because mm-hmm. they could just send him down. No big right. deal. They've got plenty of guys to bring in. In Boston, it doesn't matter. He's playing, right? right. Like there's not another, like there's just really, you're really unlikely. I uh, think like it gave him a right-handed bat. And yeah. it's just really unlikely they have any reason to send him down. So again, mm-hmm. great, great thing. I don't know if he'll sneak into, it's hard for me to say that he's going to sneak into my, my top 200, right? Like he was mm-hmm. excluded before because I just, I couldn't right now right. it's like a full-time player. This could be, you know, he, he doesn't have a ton of power. Uh, even last season, he, he hit well in the minor leagues for sure, but he was never a big power source, right? In triple a hundred, two games, eight home runs. Um, I, I think he made 2022, he, more- he hit 14 home runs in 96 games. And as a right-hander playing in Fenway, yeah, there's, I mean, I, you know, he might have some, some, a I mean, little he, bit, you know. I think the slugging will be better than the fantasy power. Good right? point, yeah. Uh, Especially hitting you know, off he, that green monster, yeah. He Well, and he hit doubles. 36 doubles last That's season right. in Triple yeah. A. I mean, the dude can hit, but he what he doesn't do, and, and I mentioned this on uh, on X recently, what he doesn't do is lift the ball a lot, mm-hmm. right? So he hits a lot of ground balls. He does that in the minor leagues, did it in the major leagues when, uh, when he was there, uh, actually even more so in the majors because breaking balls move more. So they pretty much every breaking ball when it breaks, it breaks down balls. Don't break up. So they break down. That means he gets even more ground balls. He's going to need to find a way to get to like 40% ground balls, in the majors, he he made some decent adjustments in the minors in AAA to get it down to like forty one percent. But he's really got to find a way to turn more of those ground balls into line drives and fly balls. Right, mm-hmm. that's really mm-hmm. how he unlocks power at the major league level. Uh, he he really doesn't hit many fly balls at all. Right, when he does lift the ball, it turns into uh, line drives, which again in Fenway could be great. So, but that also probably means what we're looking at for Vaughn Grissom is like a just into double digits home run, maybe a little more than that stolen base guy who could have very nice ratios, right? Mm-hmm, like I, mm-hmm. I, ex- what I'm kind of thinking is he ends up being a little more valuable in points leagues. Cause this dude can make contact, Yes, uh, but he's just not going to be that big power hitter that usually we 
that we want. He's a guy who's maybe more of a, like I said, you know, maybe 12 home runs in a full season, mm. maybe 12 with like 15 stolen bases, mm. that kind of thing. Like, you know, 10 to 15 in both home runs and stolen bases, uh, probably closer to 10 on the home runs, closer to 15 on the stolen bases for Grissom. And a uh, good batting great ratios. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good, great ratios. Like even in his 64 games in the major so far, he's hitting 287. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like mm-hmm. his issue, his issue is not, is not making contact or putting the ball in play. Mm-hmm. It's just like, he is not very good at getting it over the fence. So I think that's the thing that we're really going to see uh, when he gets up. And again, I think he'll be a great point leagues play. I think he, he's really now, I mean, I'm sure he's flying up draft champion uh, drafts mm-hmm. immediately because he's double digit steals and playing time. Like, you know, that that's everything you want in one of those leagues. I don't know how relevant he'll be for 12 teamers, mm-hmm. especially like the Yahoo style that doesn't have a middle infielder. It's going to be hard for a guy who doesn't steal a bunch and doesn't run a bunch to really find relevance. Right. Especially because he's not Luis Arias. He's not going to hit 330. He's no. like 280. So I say all that. I wonder if the right comp for him, if you want to think about like a major league comp, maybe it's Jeff McNeil statistically. Hmm. Right. Not, not for like actual ability and all that, but Jeff, like he's sort of like Jeff McNeil in that, like, you know, double digit power and a bunch of ratios, except he can steal more bases. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, if there's anything that you want to, you know, hope that he improves upon even a little bit more, you brought up a good point, hitting more fly balls. Uh, his chase rate's a little higher than we'd like to see. Uh, MLB average 28 and a half in his short career, uh, According to Statcast, it was thirty-four point six, and uh, but like you mentioned, uh, a, a good hitter, uh, above-average career zone contact rate. So uh, he's somebody in deeper leagues that I'm definitely going to be interested in, uh, especially in leagues like you mentioned uh, that have a middle inf- infield spot. So, uh, but uh, so you know, his fantasy value has increased because of the trade. But what about uh, Jared Kellenick now? Like I mentioned, the idea was that uh, Kellenick. Um, former number one, uh, former number six overall first round pick. Um, he was going to be splitting time in left field with Grissom. Uh, now, does he get a chance to play every day as well? He'll for the get Braves? a chance. Yeah. I mean, he'll get a chance. Sure. My my issue with Kalanick, I, mean, I don't want to call it an issue with Kalanick. I, I like Kalanick, but uh, if he can't hit lefties, he's going to get platooned. I mean, that's just there. There are too many right-handed guys who could play left field uh, to uh, to platoon him with. Right? They have. I mean, like Lurie Garcia is on a not. He's a non-roster invitee. He he found a a spot on this roster for now. Um, but but really, it's if you can't hit lefties, they will platoon you. Mm-hmm. Right? It's not like they're paying Kellenic a bunch of money. Right? So um, they could very easily find a player to to plug in if he struggles against lefties that'll be the thing that i'll be watching for the entire way uh consistency has been a problem but like that's a much harder beast to get your arms around they they want kellenic to be the everyday left fielder so did seattle right like every, they want because there's a lot of talent here but if he can't hit lefties or if he gets back into his swinging and missing ways he's just gonna get platooned because the like we were talking about with Grissom, there's just not a lot of patience in Atlanta to let him just play, right? Mm -hmm. Like if he's struggling bad for a month, like they let Michael Harris work through it 
for mm-hmm. a month, right? And that's probably about as much time as I think they'd give Kellenic, uh, maybe a little less, right? Because yeah. Michael Harris had a a good track record of success in twenty twenty two, really good season, yeah. Right. So, so the fact he struggled for a month, they're like, okay, you can get there, right? I think we can get there. Um, so you know they'll give Kellenic up to a month, but if he's struggling, like again, very real chance that he he hits a bench or at least against lefties, right? Mm-hmm. The the that's that's the scenario I'm sort of planning for uh, is to sometimes see him lose some at bat. So again, there's just a lot of risk here and mm-hmm. it's all in performance. So at least it's not injury risk risk. Like we were talking about with sale. It's all in performance. And the problem is there's a lot of it, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I do think he can be like a 20 home run, 15 stolen base guy. Uh, even if he misses some time against it's like you're reading my I, notes, that's what I said. I said maybe he reaches yeah, 20 home I, runs and 15 I, steals. <laughs> yeah, I, I think he can do that, yeah, without 140 games. Mm-hmm. He's got that kind of talent, right? Because there's sort of there's this weird thing that happens with a player like Kalanick when they get platooned. Yes, it stinks, they lose playing time, but also you get protected as a and if you're in a daily league or heck, sometimes even in a weekly league, you're getting protected from the worst possible at bats for this player. Mm-hmm. Right. You, so you're not going to get like, so if he, I, I would expect, you know, right now, if you, if you're saying like, you know, he's going to, if you told me he's going to play 120 to 130 games, I'd say, okay, fine. Like my projection doesn't necessarily change that much because those 20 or 30 games he'd get are against lefties. And I wasn't really thinking those were going to be very good. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's a little bit of addition by subtraction. We actually used to see this with like Jock Peterson. He used to have big like platoon split problems. They're like, oh, we should play all year. I'm like, no, because you'll get the same stat line just over more games because they'll do a bunch of 0 for fours against lefties, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> like he's not going to make his stats any better. He's just going to have more games played. So uh, there's a little bit of that. But again, it's for, for Kalanick, it's all about strikeouts and hitting lefties. And that's but- something we can watch for in spring training. Yeah, and like you mentioned, very hot and cold, right? Uh, Steamer has them projected, and this is before the trade, so maybe they should up the number of games they expect him to play. But they had him expecting to play 112 games, 16 home runs, 12 stolen bases, 245 batting average. Um, And, well, look, you know, uh, if you look at his 162-game average, it's 21 homers, 15 stolen bases, basically what we both kind of – project for him in a way uh but strikeouts have been an issue for him uh 31.7 overall k rate last season uh taking a page out of your book you know you're looking at his rolling charts uh it was 45.2 percent by his 58th game then it took a nosedive was was 14.3 by his 98th game then crept up a little bit but um the the strikeouts he's got to kind of you know, come to grips with that, hopefully. And hopefully he doesn't uh, pick any fights with water coolers, remember? Uh, fractured his foot after kicking a water cooler in July. Got off to a hot start last year, but uh, a little, you know, a little bit too uh, hot and cold, uh, you know, for his own good. Yeah, and he's going to be a guy, like, unfortunately right now, uh, you, you can probably, I don't know if you can hear my heart just breaking over and over hmm. again. Our Our hitter app, uh, that we use here at pitcher list for our rolling decision value. It is down right now. Uh, Kyle Bland's getting that fixed up. It's down right now. I noticed but, that. Yeah. I yeah. was, gonna, so I was, Kalanick, I was think, hoping that it was something on my end, not just something overall, but yeah, I, I was no, noticed. That. So, so it's going to be fixed shortly. Uh, mm-hmm. Kalanick is, is someone who really, um, can benefit from improved decision value, right? Because, mm. uh, he's not one of these guys that can just like hit everything he swings at. He's not like one of those all contact players. He really needs to, to pick his battles wisely. Uh, and again, if that's 
when that is a player's weakness, especially a young player, I still have a lot of hope because decision value is the one thing that can really be learned without playing in the game, right? right. Like this is this is a skill that you can work on. It's decision making is not a god given ability, right? Mm -hmm, Contact mm -hmm. ability is all about physical ability. You have to have hand eye coordination. You have to have, um, you know, you have to have quick hands. You have to do all these things. But decision value, it's all mental. That's why we can see veterans very very late in their career. Uh, when a lot of the physical stuff has fallen off, they can still make amazing decisions, mm -hmm. right? Because they they know, like, they learned when to swing, when not to swing. So that is really a big step for him. Uh, we'll see it in the strikeouts because when he's making bad decisions, it just turns into strikeouts. That's not necessarily true of every player. Some players who make bad decisions turn it into bad contact. Kalanick, it turns into strikeouts. Mm -hmm. So that's what we'll be watching for with him. A, a big opportunity, but again, he's more of like a fourth or a fifth outfielder right now um unless we see something crazy happen in spring training and even then uh outfield is deep in three outfield leagues so oh yeah yeah i agree with you three outfield leagues i don't think he has much fantasy value. he's a he's a lottery ticket at the end maybe mm -hmm. it just it's a hard path to get to 12 team relevance in the outfield when it's three outfield but mm -hmm. uh in anything deeper than that and there's still a lot of formats playing more outfielders than that i mean he's worth a look but again you don't want to be relying on him as like your third outfielder i mm -hmm. think that would be a very bad time right agree with you uh wholeheartedly on that point and uh, i think uh this would be a good spot for us to take our first quick break uh we'll talk about the impact that the new uh, mlb rules had on last year's fantasy baseball season and see how it might project out to the 2024 fantasy baseball season we'll talk about that right after this All right, we're back. Hacks and Jacks, a fantasy baseball podcast. Joe Galina, you can follow me on X, formerly known as Twitter, at Joe Galina. You can follow my buddy Scott Chu at If the Chu Fits. And uh, for the break, I uh, kind of teased uh, that we were going to take a look back and forward in terms of uh, how the uh, MLB rules affected fantasy baseball and how it will continue to affect fantasy baseball moving forward. Jake Crumpler wrote a really good article uh, where he took a look at how the uh, 2023 MLB rule changes impacted fantasy baseball, like I just said. Um, you should definitely check it out. Uh, he also referenced a really good article written by Jason Stark for The Athletic. Uh, you know, obviously, Scott, where do you start? Stolen bases? huge uh, change uh mlb introduced larger bases limited the amount of pickoff throws a pitcher can make and all of a sudden stolen base success rates uh, was the highest ever 80.2 and then you had 51 players stealing 20 bases or more since 1989 but uh, jason stark brought up a good point you're going to have teams seeing that and saying hey need to run more next season look how you know easy it is to run these days so so scott has that going to be changing our strategy moving forward uh when it comes to stolen bases on the one hand they're easier to find but on the other hand and uh, with stolen bases in the mix especially uh in roto category leagues your, your your target your total target of stolen bases cumulatively uh, for your team is going to be higher so you can't really ignore them <laughs> no no you, you can't and i think when when you see something like this Number one, it's really like a team by team thing. Um, there's a reason certain players are much like Rays 
like across the board mm-hmm. had a bunch more because they're on a really aggressive team. Uh, but I think if you want to look at like overall draft strategy, at least what I'm seeing and doing so far with, with stolen bases, it's that number one, I can afford to have fewer zero stolen base guys on my team, right? It's really hard to roster a lot of zero stolen base guys when so many guys are stealing five to 10, mm-hmm. right? Um, like five to 10 stolen bases definitely moves you in that category. Right. So it's really hard to roster too many zero stolen base guys. And it's, it, it, you can end up with two zero stolen base guys really quick in a draft. And you have to be able to know how to deal with that. Right. Cause I like, if you start out with like Freddie Freeman and Bryce Harper, something like that, like you, you might not have like zero, but you're not going to have a ton. Right, you, it's really easy to start a draft. Freddie with, Freeman actually, you know, and I agree oh, with you. Sorry, not, he's no, he's a bad example. He he actually did run. He actually started lot. running. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I get uh, what you're I, saying, and 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 a listener does too. Like but, Vlad Guerrero yeah. would be yeah, one. Yes. He's not yeah. going quite as early as usual, but but the idea is, it's really easy to start a draft with very few stolen bases. Mm-hmm. And I mean, right now you'll notice like the tops of drafts are still loaded with steals, mm-hmm. right? Um, and even Aaron judge, he'll grab a couple Juan Soto, probably less than 10, right? Jordan Alvarez, like that's a zero Matt Olson. Yeah. That's a zero Corey Seager. Doesn't run Austin Riley. Doesn't run. Um, I think you have to know how you're what to do. If like, you can't just say, Oh, I'm going to get two guys who run in my first two picks, mm-hmm. because let me tell you something. If you're in the middle of the second round and for some reason, Juan Soto is sitting there, you are breaking that strategy instantly. Right. Like you're not you're just going to let Soto go because you want steals. Mm, right. Mm-hmm. Like that's I don't think you can do that. So you have to know how you're going to how you're going to tackle uh, stolen bases. And and again, two things. Number one, there's fewer zero stolen base guys I'm willing to roster at any given time. Right. Uh, be, just because it's they're not quite so rare. Uh, number two, I also don't care as much about stolen base only guys. I mean, the easiest example here is Esturi Ruiz. I, you know, he, I really have no interest in rostering him mm-hmm. because he hurts you in four categories, right? He hurt, like he probably hurts you in three is neutral in one in terms of runs scored. And then is like, then get you a bunch of stolen bases. And I just don't think you need to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's, you know, especially in, in 12 teamers, I just don't see a value there. So, uh, it also makes me more likely to to punt the category in 12 team head to head. And the reason why is because when I say punt, I really mean not care, right? I'm not going to care about stolen bases that much. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to make sure I win stolen bases because I'm going to like the, the beauty of punting in head to head category leagues is sometimes you still win stolen bases, right? You can win stolen base weeks with two or three, Mm -hmm. right? Like you can, it doesn't happen a lot, but it can happen. Right. Uh, or teams with really good, you know, they have a bunch of guys who steal, but they just don't steal that week. Right. Mm-hmm. You can have three closers and have none of them get a save in a week. It happens. Right. And if you don't believe me, ask folks like it, it has happened to them. They need, you know, they had four days where they need one save and none of them got one. Right. Right. So I, I'm, I care less about it in head to head categories, but in Roto, it is actually something I pay more attention to mm-hmm. as I'm filling out my roster. Like everybody needs to be contributing. And if someone's, if I've got a zero, I've got to find a way to like balance that on the ledger. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. It's, it's harder just to punt because again, you can't just like get three stolen base, you know, five stolen bases and expect to move up a bunch anymore. Like it, it's still tightly packed uh, and five bases can definitely be worth a point or two, but it's not what it used to be. 
because there's more of them. Therefore, they get distributed out a little bit more. That makes the gaps between certain categories a little bit bigger. It's sort of like one home run can be the difference for a roto point in uh, in 12 or in 12 or 15 team roto. But like usually you need a couple more than that mm-hmm. to move up. Right. Mm-hmm. You can see gaps of 10, 20, 30. We're not quite to that point with stolen bases, but you're now it's now much more common to see gaps in the middle of the pack of three to five. Mm-hmm. between mm-hmm. points and that's that's not what it used to be because there were fewer we used to see more of like you know two stolen bases would almost always move up the 10th to like a 10th and 11th place guys would almost always move up if they got like two or three stolen bases right. and that's becoming a little harder too so it's it's a balance i just need more of them i'm more conscious of it but not in terms of like 20 stolen base guys i'm a lot more conscious of like can he also throw in 10 steals for me though mm-hmm. you know, am i getting that seven to ten um and also it it really impacts streaming. You can stream any stat in any position, right? We talk mostly about catchers and pitchers, but you can stream anything, right? Uh, there's a lot of value in streaming outfield, uh, especially in three outfield leagues, right? Mm-hmm. Because there's always some, someone out there, right? You oh, that last yeah. outfielder you need, you can always grab one, mm-hmm. right? So um, you can also you can also stream any category. Now, like run scored is hard because the only guys who really do that are at the top of the lineup. And yeah. a lot of those guys are already rostered. Mm-hmm. But you can stream steals really by picking on pitcher-catcher combinations on certain teams, mm-hmm. right? Uh, like, you know, if there's a Ray and they're going against, like, the White Sox, who are maybe a little better than now. I mean, actually, as long as he has Monty Grandel still their catcher, people are going to run on them constantly. Right. Or every time Noah Syndergaard's allowed to pitch, somebody's running. Yes. Yes. <laughs> right. Like, yes. So absolutely. Teams have become, while some teams became more aggressive across the board, like the Rays, some teams are just more likely to be situationally aggressive. Mm-hmm. Like they, they're, they're still very conservative compared to other teams in the league, but they're more aggressive than they were. So when they see those matchups, they're like, look, that 70% chance is now an 80% chance. So we're doing it. Mm-hmm. right like that's generally the magic number between 75 and 80 percent a team's willing to do that um and when they find it like they're just going it, it's very it's very natural just because the odds are better right right absolutely yeah so good stuff um another thing i want to talk about in terms of the rule changes was uh the uh, ban on the extreme shift and how it affected uh, batters um and so in the past uh, left-handed uh, batters had the extreme shifts used on them against them more than righties. Makes sense, right? Um, this season, we saw left-handed batters uh, batting average on ground balls. It rose from 226 in 2022 to 239 uh, in the 2023 season. Uh, that's an increase of 13, right? But uh, that batting average was still lower than it was as recently as 2017, where we saw the biggest difference, though, Scott, was on hard-hit pulled ground balls from left-handers, right? Now, stay with me on this one. Batting averages uh, for left-handed batters, hard-hit ground balls. Now, we're talking balls that were hit with exit velocities of 90 mile per hour or more. That went from 2019 in the 2022 season to 279 during the 2023 season. That's an increase of 60 points. And it was uh, uh, a little more pronounced when that exit velocity on those balls was 95 miles per hour or more. That's hard hit ground balls uh, pulled by left-handers. The batting average went from 
257 during the 2022 season to 323 in the uh, 2023 season. So that kind of made me think of, of Cody Bellinger, uh, basically a you know, left-handed pull hitter uh, who hits the ball hard and had a big resurgence in, in 2023, career high batting average of 307. So, I mean, do we, are we, are we, are we going to, you know, if, if, if it's an even deal where you, you're trying to decide you're in the draft and it's like two batters kind of, and you, you, you value them the same, but one's a lefty, do you go for the lefty? But back to Bellinger, right? I mean, his resurgence is kind of like puzzling in a way, right? I mean, his overall strikeout rate dropped uh, significantly from 27.3 to 15.6. Still hit the ball hard, but uh, his, his hard hit rate and barrel rate dropped from year to year. Went, barrel rate went from 8.3 to 6.1, but his slug jumped f- to 525 from 389. Uh, so, I mean, I guess I'm... He's I'm, so weird. Right? He's so weird. Right? <laughs> the, like, career low hard hit rate. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. Like, it doesn't make sense. Right. Uh, a lot of that stuff for him doesn't make a ton of sense. Um, so the, what I, what I really take away from it is I'm willing to let, like, here's the thing. Those balls that the shift was taking away, they weren't home runs. Mm -hmm. They weren't doubles. They were, they were singles almost exclusively. Mm -hmm. Right. So what does that change? It changes batting average. So I think some of those guys will continue to see batting average improvements, right? Like, do I think Cody Bellinger will hit 307 again? No. Uh, Neither the steamer, by the way, they they have them at yeah. two fifty seven fifty point, which which <laughs> is something I can get behind, right? Mm-hmm. But keep in mind that shift had nothing to do with how he added seven home runs to his total, mm-hmm. right? That like the the way you beat like the way those guys used to beat the shift was I'll just hit it over you, mm-hmm. right? Uh, that's what they did. So that's the part that's really difficult for me to really get my arms around in terms of like Bellinger. Uh, it, it can help batting average and for some players, it will help their stolen bases indirectly because those outs are now singles. So some of those singles can turn to stolen bases, but really I, I think the two things, number one is I, I like, I really like Jake's Jake's article here. I think if there was one thing I would add to it, it's keep in mind that like, BABIP is luck affected, right? Like it wasn't just the shift. Like Corey Seager uh, was going to rebound if they didn't get rid of the shift, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe not to this degree, but he was extremely unlucky even on those ground balls into the shift, right? Mm -hmm. Like he he had really bad luck. Um, We probably should have expected like a 50, at least a 50 point bump in his batting average regardless, Mm -hmm. right? Um, It's not like the extreme shift like just appeared, right? Like it wasn't like 20, it's not like it only was allowed in 2022 and then we took it away, Mm. right? It had been around teams were using it a bit more, but like some of these players just had bad luck in general. So what I'd say is there isn't like these defensive shift limits have an impact. They impact pitchers a little bit. They impact left-handed ground ball hitters the most. Mm -hmm. And also it's not the only thing, right? Just, just don't. I would just caution people against thinking that the change is why the player is what they were in 2023. And that's what's to expect going forward. Can you expect Corey Seager to sort of repeat what he did last season? Actually? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. When he's on the field, he's fantastic. That's Corey Seager. Right. But other guys who had bumps, like I'm, 
I'm going to continue digging. That is one, like that has some explanation because like with Bellinger, I, maybe it impacted his batting average a little, mm -hmm. but like he was, he was still very lucky on batted balls in play, right? Like he Bellinger's like, again, I can't say enough. He's really strange, mm -hmm. right? Like his, his whole 2023 season is really strange. I'm, I'm sort of wondering if I, I'm not the only one who has noticed this. I do sort of wonder if that's one of the reasons he doesn't have a contract yet. Right. Right, right, like teams right. trying to figure nobody out. Nobody knows what. <laughs> right. Nobody knows what to do with this guy. Right, right? like a thirty. How do I don't know how many times I've actually. I don't know if I've ever seen a player with a thirty-one point four percent hard hit rate have twenty-six home runs. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. that is that is a like I, I cannot stress enough. That is extremely low hard hit rate. Right, like, it's really low. I I uh, I will say what you saw with like his expected batting average going up. That part I believe. Mm -hmm. That seems very real to me. Again, because the shift went away a little bit, and he he does he doesn't hit a ton of ground balls, but he does pull it a lot. So th there's that there. But long story short, just be really careful with how you use some of the stuff. Like, did it impact things? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Did it may? Is it the whole reason? Absolutely not. Right. Any of the other guys I put on our our uh, rundown uh, appeal to you to, I, I, you know. Santander, Anthony Santander is a switch hitter, but bats from the left uh, side of the plate most of the time. Saw a 17-point increase in his overall batting average. Um, MJ Belendez saw uh, a 17, 18-point increase in his batting average. Um, and Steamer thinks it's going to be a little bit more. Uh, Melendez basically a dead pull uh, hitter 45.8% of the time. Uh, hits the ball hard. Um, and Tristan Casas, man, he came on late last season, uh, only played 27 games in 2022, but batted 197. And then, uh, last season went up to 263, you know, lefty in, in Fenway. Any of these guys yeah, appeal to you for that, for that reason, or looking into it too much? So I, what I like about this sample of guys is, uh, really two of them stand out to me in Santander and Cassis. Mm -hmm. And it's actually because the shift doesn't matter to them. Right. Uh, these are like big fly ball hitters, right? Like they're, they're when they hit ground balls, you should probably just assume they're outs, mm. right? Regardless of shift, right? Like these guys are not there to run out ground balls, uh, or squeaks. Like they are trying to hit home runs, a lot of them. So those are two guys where, I kind of don't care about shifts, right? Mm -hmm. Like for them, it's all about get the ball in the air, get the ball in the air, get the ball in the air. And so that, you know, that, that is again, a, a thing where, uh, it's very, it's very easy to be like, Oh wow. Like he pulls the ball a lot. Shift should help. But again, shifts only take away singles, mm -hmm. like maybe a stray double or two, but they take away singles. So when you're looking at a player, like I'm, I'm actually going to go look up MJ Melendez right now because he's the type of player who, uh, he does hit more balls on the ground than the other guys, but he is also a high fly ball hitter, mm -hmm. right? So, like, again, this could get, like, it maybe gave him a little bit of a boost mm. in terms of, of batting average, um, though, really, for him, it's all about just get the ball in the air. Right. Get the ball in the air and let it fly. And, you know, so really, if I'm looking at, uh, you know, really, yeah, his expected batting average didn't change at all. Uh, when I'm looking at it, those are the exact types of players who I would say, again, a perfect example, keep digging just a little, right? Just a little. 
um, because it's very easy. Like I do the same thing all the time. I'm like, oh, well, this is what it was. And mm-hmm. then Bellinger, like a guy like Bellinger comes around and you were like, oh, none of it makes sense then. But mm-hmm. with like Melendez, you know, it's, it's, or Von Grissom, right? Von Grissom is just a guy who's like, dude, he needs to get the ball in the air more. Mm-hmm. If he doesn't, this is what it looks like for Melendez. If those guys hit ground balls, it does raise their floor because they have the better chance of getting through. Mm-hmm. But for them, it's all about just keep hitting the ball in the air and keep pulling the crap out of it. Right. Just keep right. doing that. Because then if it's in like the moment, the ball is in the air, like a, once you have a launch angle above like five, mm-hmm. right? Like shift stops mattering. Right. So it's, yeah, it's such a, it's such a big deal league wide, but like from an event by event basis, it, getting rid of the shift just doesn't impact things. Like, especially it's like, I thought it would, I thought the impact would be, would be more and it just wasn't there and it the more i sort of read about it and look at it, it kind of makes sense it took mm-hmm. away singles and those singles are back in play sometimes right all right good stuff uh this would be a good spot for us to take our second break uh when we come back uh want to talk about some players that uh we had wanted to talk about a couple episodes ago, but we had some technical difficulties never got to them uh players that you identified uh where you were uh your rankings were different than their uh, current NFBC ADP. We'll talk about players uh, like uh, Josh Lowe, Jake Berger. Yeah, I also want to talk to you about Nolan Jones because uh, I liked what I saw. I was taking a look at his numbers. Um, and we'll talk about those players right after this. All right, we're back. Hacks and Jacks Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Joe Galena and Scott Chu with you. Uh, like I mentioned, we're recording this New Year's Eve. Uh, it's December 31st, 2023. And uh, before we went to our last break, uh, said we were going to talk about uh, NFBC ADP and differences with uh, Scott's hitter list ranking. Scott, you wanted to also make mention of. Uh, the actual ADPs in terms of relation to uh, the type of leagues that are drafting right now, you know, the draft champion leagues you had mentioned, you want to mention. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and that's maybe why we'll start with, with Josh Lowe. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Josh Lowe definitely had an up and down season and even just, even just by now, right. It can be hard to remember exactly like what a player's season was like, like when we lived through it, with Josh Lowe, I mean, it was very like he had this hot, crazy, crazy start. Um, I remember I even I featured him on the hitter list. I ranked him like 60th. And then he was just awful for like two mm. months, just like unrosterable for two months. Uh, and then kind of comes back. Yeah. After August, and he really started getting hot again. But yeah, yeah you're right. Really, really heats up. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a reason for that, right? Like Josh Lowe is not a good decision maker. Uh, he really is all about like make, he's got good hand eye coordination. He's athletic so he can make contact, um, with against a lot of things, but he doesn't make a ton of good decisions. And it generally speaking, players with low decision values are extremely volatile. Mm -hmm. Now, Josh Lowe is at his peak value in like the draft champions format because draft champions cannot use waivers. So they need, they really value things like stolen bases, right? right? Because you just have, you have to draft them all. 
So, so Josh, let's just take a quick step back and let you know, some people might not be familiar with what a draft champion league is, right? Um, yeah, so it's an NFBC format. Okay. 15 teams, five mm-hmm. outfield, middle infield, corner infield, mm-hmm. uh, nine starting pitchers. The biggest thing is they draft like 50 rounds. Right. They draft their whole team and set their lineups every week. So it's not quite best ball, mm-hmm. uh, which actually has, which is weirdly a similar, it's similar in uh, how the draft works mm-hmm. in terms of like you draft 50 and you don't do free agency. Um, but it's really different in terms of how it plays out. Mm-hmm. Um, but with, yeah, so these draft champions leagues, they need, you know, they really push up two things more than anything else. Closers, because they draft, like they start draft, they've already started drafting, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and they, the closer market at this point in the season is horrible because there's so many that are like battles that we just don't know how that's going to play out. Uh, the other is, of course, stolen bases. They they just need stolen bases. You can't go on the wire and get them. You have to draft all of them. So a player like Josh Lowe who can steal thirty bases, um, then you know they just they move up rounds, multiple mm-hmm. rounds, especially when in the outfield where there's five outfielders. You know, remember, you have to you like you can't go to the waiver wire when you like send a guy to the IL. You have to already have them. So outfield is an incredibly difficult position to manage mm-hmm. in draft champions. So when you have a speedy outfielder, uh, you'll see their value just move way up, right? Mm-hmm. And, and Josh Lowe being a guy who uh, can hit for some power as well, I think yep. 20 home runs. Right. is 32 stolen bases last season too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think those are things that he can do again. Um, but, you know, I... I'm a little concerned about him in shallower leagues, right? Because we can make up though. Like you can find those stats on the waiver wire. He's more of a third outfielder to me. And a big part of it is because like there is still volatility here. Now what he did get a lot better at as the season went on. If you look at the article, I, I do post that. Uh, I did talk about this. He got a lot better against breaking balls. Mm-hmm. He got a lot better at putting the bat on breaking balls. Which again, he's not a good decision maker. It's generally because he's very aggressive, um, so he has to be able to fight off breaking balls if he's going to be swinging a lot. Uh, and it's something again he got better at. He was at his best at the end of the season, like 90th percentile sort of talent in terms of making contact with those breaking balls. If he can continue to do that, I think my rank is too low, and I think he has the potential to be a top 50 fantasy option mm-hmm. in terms of hitters, top 50 hitter. Uh, I just can't. I can't put him there yet or even that close. I ranked him 72nd. I can't put him there yet because there's a reason he slumped. And it's not just because like he grew out of something. He's still a bad decision maker, right? I expect him to continue to be a very aggressive bat. And he's on a team that loves to platoon, just Mm -hmm. absolutely adores platoons in Tampa Bay. So it doesn't take long for a guy like Josh Lowe, just like we saw last season to go from like the hottest, you know, the hottest things in sliced bread to a, like very part-time player. Right. Like yeah. They didn't do, even start him against all righties. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, he had a 300 batting average against righties, 230 versus, 238 versus lefties. So he's got that going against them. And like you mentioned, Rays are notorious for platooning their hitters, especially when they're struggling. So that's great points that you're bringing up. 
yeah. So, so he's a, he's a dangerous player that again, and it's, it's weird because in, I, I can really look at the risk thing two ways. Number one, he is very risky and in 12 team leagues, I can find safer options. <laughs> but if I have very safe options at the top of my outfield, maybe I'm in a three outfield league and I grab two outfielders in my first three picks. That's pretty normal <laughs> these days with how loaded outfield is at the top. Then you can, you might say, you know what? I'll just wait a while and grab Josh Lowe later. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't work out, I'll just flip, you know, I'll just grab another outfielder off the heap. Right. Right. You can do that. But if you are building, like you didn't draft outfield right off the bat, maybe you went infield and pitcher. Now you're later on and you're looking at Josh Lowe to be like your second outfielder. Um, that, you know, that all of a sudden is very risky, mm-hmm. right? Uh, because you just don't know how he's going to perform, especially on like a week to week basis. We don't know anyone's going to perform on a week to week basis, but he's especially volatile because of the way he plays. So with Josh Lowe, it, it sort of becomes a, uh, he's a great, he's a really nice pick. If you've built your team in a way that can support that kind of pick later on, I mm-hmm. love him as a third out. It's this thing where I love him as a third outfielder. Don't like him as a second outfielder, even though you could be picking that same thing at the same time in the draft. One team's looking for a second th- outfielder. One team's looking for a third outfielder. Mm-hmm. They could, it could be the same round, but one team could make that pick and I wouldn't like it. One team could make that pick and I would like it. Right. Which again, kind of a weird thing to talk about. Like, well, you was picked in like, well, how could you have one be a bad pick and one be a good pick? And it's in the same round and it's the same player mm-hmm. because one team is not built to take that risk on. And the other one is. So that's really what it's about. And actually a lot of the guys we might talk about here are sort of in this boat where I don't like them as much as the ADP, but the reason the ADP is probably higher is I hope someone has built their team in a way that they can make that move. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I may not, right? Like I, I don't target these guys unless like, I really try to avoid some of these, especially like poor decision-making uh, strikeout heavy players. I really try to avoid picking them up unless all the other pieces have fit in perfectly. Right. Right. Well, Josh Lowe, uh, 19th outfielder, uh, going in NFBC leagues again, there the, are the five outfielder leagues. Uh, his ADP is uh, just around seventy-seven. Um, and you know, I, I'm going to ask you about uh, a guy I kind of uh, alluded to, and then we could go on to more players. But um, another outfielder um, that kind of got my eye. I want to know just what your initial reaction is to him. Is Nolan Jones, outfielder for the Col- uh, Colorado Rockies? He's the fifteenth outfielder going. Uh, off the board in NFPC leagues, uh, and his ADP is just about 58. Now, uh, you know, he caught my eye, uh, you know, pull left-handed, pull ball hitter. Um, you know, barrel rate was 15.7 last season, league average 8.1. Um, and taking a page out of your uh, book again, you know, you, you have me looking at these rolling charts there, Scott, but you, you got to love the way he finished his 2023 season. Wobo was going up, strikeouts were falling, good OBP. You know, he plays in Colorado, but no extreme splits. You know, batting stats were equally good at cores and on the road, uh, equally good against righty and lefty pitchers. Uh, what's your take on, on Nolan Jones and, and maybe in comparison to a Josh Lowe? Do you prefer him? Oh, so I rank Nolan Jones uh, like 15 spots higher or so wow, okay. just among hitters. Okay. Uh, I rank him 59th, which still makes uh, it's my 59th hitter, which still makes me quite a bit colder on him than than the ADP. It's like it's regulated a little bit. He got taken very early in some of the initial drafts. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, one of the reasons for that is he was amazing in September, mm-hmm. right? Like in September, 16.4% walk rate, 21.1% strikeout rate, hit 349, 461, 651. 
seven home runs, bunch of counting stats. What jumps out, um, you know, sorry if you have my article open while you're listening to this, you don't, but I'm, I'm sort of reading it. <laughs> um, the, the strikeout rate is what jumps out at you. That 21.1% strikeout rate. Jones has, you know, he's been around as a prospect for a while. Big issue about Jones is the strikeouts, right? He's a guy who, who can definitely flash like 30 to 35% strikeout rates at any given time. And he really brought it down in September. Now, is that a permanent thing? Probably not. But if he can, if he can float a little closer to that, maybe get out of the 30 to 35 range and live in the 25 to 30% range, then I think we've got like a very legitimate player. Uh, one of the few Rockies who you might draft and just start all year. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Rockies don't have a lot of guys like that right now, but the, it's really just a matter of can he continue to take the step forwards that he made, especially against breaking balls and decision-making. And really when I say decision-making against breaking balls, I meant being more patient against breaking balls. That generally means he's identifying them early and laying off. Mm-hmm. Right. So his decision value takes a big step for, uh, it needs to take a, a step forward. I think become a more consistent player. Um, but I, I think, you know, he did flash what that upside can look like. We know what he looks like when he's hot, right? Mm-hmm. I think he can post a month like that again. I don't think he can post multiple months mm-hmm. like that again. That's why I rank him a little bit lower. Um, but yeah, 25 home runs, 20 stolen bases. Sure. Mm-hmm. Sure. I, I I'm into that. I think a, I think the batting average will end up being pretty good. I think you will see it come up and down as he continues to sort of refine his approach. Uh, really against breaking balls, um, against lefties, those kinds of things. Those are still some areas where he needs to take, just, he needs to maybe just be a little bit more consistent. But I do like him, just not as much as I think some of the early drafts like him. Hmm. Okay, good stuff. Um, let's move on to the third base position and specifically talk about Jake Berger. And whenever I think of Jake Berger, especially this time of year, I think of the uh, uh, Burger Meister Meister Burger. If anybody's ever watched the Santa Claus Coming to Town uh, cartoon, <laughs> but uh, ADP one sixty five, fifteenth uh, third baseman coming off the board, uh, roster resource uh, projects him to back cleanup as the Marlins third baseman, and really found his groove when he got traded to the Marlins. Once he got traded to the Marlins. Uh, started striking out last uh, his K rate with the White Sox, 31.6. Uh, then after August 2nd and the trade, it was uh, dropped to 21.7 uh, with the Marlins. So uh, batted 303 with a 355 OBP and an 860 OPS for the Marlins. Um, Steamer has him at uh, 249, 27 home runs, projects him to play 141 games. What's your take on, on uh, Jake Berger? It's almost like you just set me up, Joe. I, I used uh, Jake Berger's a great example of why rolling charts are awesome mm-hmm. uh, in Arizona for first pitch Arizona. Oh, did you? And, awesome. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So actually with Jake Berger, um, he was the only example I could use because my computer didn't work the way it was supposed to. Mm. Uh, but with Jake Berger here, here's the thing. Um, what Miami Miami did not fix Jake Berger. They actually recognized a player who was fixing himself. His strikeout rate had been on the decline uh, for quite a while. It had peaked uh, a little while, about a month before then. And then it was kind of on its way down uh, to, it was actually, by the time he was traded, his 15 game rolling strikeout rate for Jake Berger was at, a, you know, one of the lowest points it had been all season. What Miami does is then swoop, like really bring him in and just let it keep falling. Right. And then he kind of stays stable. So he actually, um, 
his like his season long strikeout rate was like between 25 and 30 percent. He actually never had a rolling strikeout rate um, that was at or above his app, his like season ending one after he got traded. Right. Mm. And it's because he was able to stay down. The Marlins did do is help him continue to refine that, uh, which I actually like better. Um, I, I like that he was making these adjustments. Miami kind of just lets him keep doing that, really helps him find a good place. The end of the season, he's really that rolling strikeout rate sitting between like 20 and 25%. And that's exactly what we want to see from him. He also, as the season progressed, and this isn't like, you know, when he gets to Miami, it gets better. Really, throughout the entire season, mm -hmm. we see two things. Number one, we see he starts the year actually being a horrible decision maker against fastballs. Like, the, like, Early on, he was among the worst players in the league at making decisions, uh, good swing decisions against fastballs. By the end of the season, and basically a steady line upward, by the end of the season, he gets up to like the 25th percentile. So still bad, but mm -hmm. not like the worst. Right. What's weird is unlike a lot of sluggers who profile like Jake Berger, usually what we see with those guys is they're great against fastballs and they really struggle uh, with making decisions against breaking balls. Berger is the opposite. He was, he started out average against, uh, breaking balls in terms of decision value. By the end of the season, he's above the 90th percentile in the league and making decisions against breaking balls. He basically really understood when to swing and most of the time when not to swing against breaking balls. So with Jake Berger, I, I like seeing this sort of like, uh, your reverse approach, because if this dude can be even average against fastballs, if Jake Berger can be average at decision-making against fastballs, I think we see yet another level for Jake Berger mm -hmm. where he has a decent batting average and he's 30 to 35 home runs. Cause he absolutely has that kind of power. Wow. So, uh, you know, the Marlins give him an opportunity to play every day. Um, and I think they are a better fit for him as opposed to Chicago, who the white Sox really let their players swing at everything all the time. <laughs> right? Like all of their players are very aggressive. They have very few players who walk 10% of the time or more. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like just Yasmani Grandal and like nobody else. <laughs> uh, sometimes Juan Mancata, but like everybody else swings at everything. So Jake Berger's on a team now that will let him maybe ask him to walk a little bit more, help him uh, keep that approach a bit. But also just, I mean, again, if he can just be average against fastballs, Mm -hmm. which in theory are the easier ones to make decisions against. If you can just be average against fastballs, I think we have a very, very good player here. So uh, I, I really, I'm excited about Jake Berger. I think he is, if you miss some of like the top options at third base, I love him as like, you know what? Draft wise, I'm the last one getting a starting third baseman, mm -hmm. but I bet I don't finish with the worst third baseman. Right. 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 Like I, no doubt about it. I think you can finish with a, not middle of the pack, so to speak, in a 12-team league because like third base is really top-heavy. Mm -hmm. But I think you have an above-average third baseman here um, and, and one who I think might go... I, I think the narrative is going to be a little off. They're going to think, oh, well, you know, my, he goes to Miami and everything gets better. No, he was already getting better. Mm -hmm. There's actually the things we want him to improve on have nothing to do with being in Miami, right? right. He just needs to keep doing what he's doing and then just be a little better against fastballs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Not even good. I'm not asking him to be good. Average. Right. Average. And third base, like you said, very top heavy has been, uh, you know, one of the shallower leagues in fantasy. And uh, let's talk about uh, one other player that uh, you had differed on your rankings compared to NFPC. And he's a shortstop and shortstop traditionally has been very deep and it still is deep this season. But, you know, there's a it's not as deep as in past seasons, but still very deep. But uh, let's talk a little J.P. Crawford uh, from the Mariners. He had uh, a career high, uh, 19 home runs, uh, 65 RBI, led uh, baseball at 94 walks, uh, 
266 batting average, 818 OPS. Where did that power come from, Scott? Uh, it doubled his launch angle, more than doubled his barrel rate. Hard hit rate went up 7%. Uh, if I recall, I think you're a little higher than uh, what NFBC thinks of him, no? Yeah, actually, uh, here here's a hot take. I rank him one spot above Christopher Morrell. And, um, obviously very, very different in terms of like what risk looks like for these guys. Mm -hmm. Uh, morale, just very, very risky. Lots of, lots of skills. JP Crawford. So number one, um, you know, not to be cliche, but he went to driveline, right? Like we, Mm -hmm. we love it when guys go to driveline. Yes, we do. Yeah. Uh, his 19 home runs in 2023 were more than he had in the three prior seasons combined. Granted, one of them was 2020, but still it's a ton more home runs. Uh, he needed more than 358 games to get to 19 home runs before. Uh, he only needed one season to get to 19 home runs. He hits at the top of a lineup that is not as deep as I think we had hoped, but it's still, I mean, he still hits and he's still going to hit in front of, um, uh, He's still going to hit in front J-Rod. of Yeah, sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, yeah, he's still going to hit he's still going to hit in front of J-Rod. He's still yeah. going to hit in front of, you know, like he's going to hit at the top of a decent offense. Right. And the thing with JP Crawford is I don't necessarily need him to hit 19 home runs again to be good. Mm-hmm. Um I think he can be like 15 plus still and I also think he can score 90 plus runs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, scored 94 runs, last season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, runs are actually a very difficult thing to get your hands on in fantasy. Again, I mentioned Agreed. this earlier, but it's because you need guys that like hit towards the top of the lineup. And a yep. lot of those guys are not on the waiver wire mm-hmm. because they tend to be good hitters. Like teams don't put bad hitters at the top of the lineup. Uh, so a lot of times they're already rostered. This is a guy you can get very late in a draft. I think that he uh, can definitely give you run score. I think he can be neutral with power. Um, and again, this... This was very much a, he also, again, you might've, you mentioned it. He walked a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, this again, this is not a play where I'm like, oh, there's a lot of upside to this pick, but like, this is a huge, like this to me is an extremely high floor. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times that's what you need, especially when you're looking at like a middle infielder or, you know, uh, you know, deeper format, you need a high floor. JP Crawford's got it. I think he continued to hit the ball in the air more. Even if he falls short of 19 home runs, I think 15 is still there. I think mm-hmm. you can look at 90 plus runs scored uh, and good ratios. This is a guy who just, he's a really solid player that I think gets overlooked too much because he is a little boring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Good point. All right. So uh, Scott, uh, I think we've uh, come to the end of this episode because I, I need to take a nap because I'm having company later. Like I said, we're recording this on uh, New Year's Eve. A- any uh, resolutions that you'd like to, you know, tell uh our listeners about have you made any oh yeah um it's a little cliche but i'm giving up the resolutions because i'm tired of just like like basically what happens is i make a resolution and then just disappoint myself by Mm mid-january so Mm -hmm. i'm not doing that this year right yeah and i got a feeling i'm gonna stick to this one (laughs) very good yes (laughs) Uh, i i don't like to make resolutions as well i think you can make a resolution any time of the year why stick to you know january 1st and then disappoint yourself and then you know just just make a bunch of resolutions as January the year goes on. An arbitrary, it's an arbitrary deadline. Right. It's, it's arbitrary in a sense, right? Like, yes. there's nothing different about me on December 31st and January 1st. It's just, you know, the calendar flips over. So I guess mm-hmm. it's convenient, but it's arbitrary. Any, any I cannot th- change myself any time of year, right? I disappoint myself year long. I don't need to focus <laughs> on it in January. Right, right. Uh, fantasy baseball resolutions. Mine, I'll give you, I, I do have one that just came across you know, just flashed across my head is I'm just going to try not to play in too many leagues where it affects my performance overall. 
I think that some of us, especially analysts, you know, it's great to say, well, I'm in 30 leagues. Well, you know, you know, how are you doing in those leagues? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So just, you know, play in the amount of leagues that's best for you. Anything like for you or? Yeah. Yeah. I'm really, a lot of it is pulling back, like you said, and Mm -hmm. and just like, why am I in a league? Mm -hmm. Right. Like I, uh, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a high stakes player. Like I don't have a thousand dollars in, in one league. Right. Like that's just not, not mm-hmm. something I do. Um, I, I think it's very interesting. It's just, it's too stressful for me. Uh, I got, <laughs> I, I got kids to feed, man. Right. Right. Uh, I got, I got all to pay. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. I got yeah. all these kids swimming around. Um, but it's, I really want to focus on really enjoying my leagues more. It's, it's tough when you're writing all the time or you're in too many leagues. Yeah. Uh, and I, I get to a point where I don't enjoy it mm-hmm. at times in the season. And my fantasy yeah. resolution would be to like, how do I make sure that stops happening? This is supposed to be fun for God's right. sake. Because it becomes, becomes a job, <laughs> right? <laughs> it becomes, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, and so you know, I, there's, I really, there's a game on and you'd like to pay attention to that, but you're busy writing an article, right? Or, or prepping for a podcast or, you know, whatever you're doing, right? Yeah. Or scouring the just, waiver wire. Yeah, yeah. Because I've got, you know, I've got, 16 teams with waivers running on Sunday and I can't do any, like I can't enjoy my Sunday because like, again, some of us, you know, I I do enjoy it to an extent. And Uh I think it's really about finding, finding that balance. Right. Yeah. Great point. Good stuff. All right. So uh, happy new year to you and your family there, Scott. Happy new year to everyone uh, listening out there. Uh, Subscribe to the podcast, uh, rate us, you know, tell us what you think, reach out to us. You can follow me at Joe Galina on X formerly known as Twitter. You could uh, follow my buddy Scott Chu at If the Chu Fits. And like we always like to say, we're hoping that all of your fantasies become realities. And we'll see you next time.